Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. What's true for a church is also true for individuals, right? You know, your life, your life preaches a message everywhere you go, right? Where you go, where you don't go. The activities you engage in, what you do for entertainment, where you spend your free time, all of those things are preaching a message all the time. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, um, this is instruction to wives, but that's not my point of bringing it up. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when you see they see your respectful and pure conduct. And l- listen to what he's saying here. He's saying that a, uh, she can live in such a way that she can win her husband, even if he's not believing the words you're saying. He can see the words that you're preaching with your life. And it's the same for us in all areas of life. Your conduct is always sending a message whether you're speaking or not. And, you know, speaking is important. Speaking is... Uh, um, no wonder, you know, God, what's the great commission? Go out and proclaim the message, right? Proclaim the word, preach the word. We do have a commission to preach with words, um, but but it's no wonder then because of the importance of the the, the scriptures place on the, the, the proclaimed message of God. It's no wonder that one of the biggest fears that people have is public speaking. 77%, I looked it up, 70%, 77% of people are afraid of speaking in a public setting. But when the message is preached, one of the best ways that Satan uses to contradict the message is to get you and me to contradict it ourselves by our actions. I'll say that again. When the message is proclaimed, the best tool that Satan has to contradict that message is for you and I to contradict it by our actions and by the things we do that don't line up with what what we've said with our mouth. We need what we say with our mouths to line up with our actions. Amen. Doesn't James say to be doers of the word and not hearers only? And so we need to live our lives in such a way that we are in alignment with the purposes of God so that our lives are always telling the story of God, always telling the story of God. And and during the Civil War, um, Abraham Lincoln was supposedly asked, they said, do you think God is on your side? And his, I, I love his response. He said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side for God is always right. Wow. You know, I think so many times, that's, that's a revelation uh, for probably some Christians because a lot of times Christians, I think we've been trained to have my own agenda and want to bring God along to bless it. And, and the real purpose of being a Christian is to step into God's purposes, right? And me serve him. I give you my heart. I give you it all. I lay it before you. And then I walk in his purposes and in his counsel and his will. And that's a life that he can bless. Come on. He is looking. His eyes are looking to and fro throughout the earth. The Bible says looking for someone that he can show himself strong in. And so he's looking for somebody who will be committed to his purposes and his ways. And uh, he wants us to know his plans. He wants us to know his, his purposes. He's not hiding them from us. Uh, in John 15, 15, he's talking to the disciples before he goes to heaven. And he says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He says, I've called you friends. Why does he say I've called you friends? Because all that I have heard from my father, I have made it known to you. He's not holding anything back. He's saying, I've, I've given you everything that I've heard from the Father. I've shared it freely with you. I've not held anything back. Why? Because I want you to know my purpose. I want you to know my ways. I want you to order your life accordingly. I want you to be in cooperation with heaven. Come on. We're just, I mean, we're, we're the outpost here. Heaven is, is headquarters. Heaven is the citizenship. We're out here and we're supposed to be representing what? Heaven. People are supposed to know what God is like because they know you and me. Isaiah 46, verse nine, he says, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. So his purpose is being done on the earth. If we wanna be blessed, we need to get in line with his purpose. Pretty simple. And he's not hiding it from us. You know, even the book of Revelation, uh, uh, you know, everybody's looking at the book of Revelation now and talking about what's going to happen in the end times, you know, and it's a mystery. It's all this, you know, uh, 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 what we call it, um, uh, apocryphal. Is that, is that a word, Rick? I don't know. Apocryphal language. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Rick approves, we're going to use it at a manual. That's good enough for me. Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, what's, what's the word? It's the revelation. What's the revelation? It's an uncovering. That's what the word means. It means a revealing, an uncovering, to lay it bare, to just put it out there, to disclose it, to show you. It's a revelation. He's not trying to hide his will and his purpose from the church. He's trying to put it out there and, and let us uh, all observe it. Look at Romans 12 too. It says, don't be conformed to the world. I think I quote this every other week. It's such a great verse, right? Don't be conformed to the world. You, could, you don't even need it on the screens, right? But what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can discern. What is the will of God? His, 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 uh, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. That word discern, um, your King James, I think, says prove, right? Isn't that the good King James? To prove the will of God. What does that mean? It means to prove like you're testing metal in fire to see how it's, how pure it is. You know, I think it's Peter talks about our faith being proved, proven, you know? Why? I'm supposed to be able to demonstrate and prove the will of God in my life. Not just understand it for myself, yes, but also demonstrate the will of God by how I live my life so that others can look at me and look at you and know something about what God is like, amen? So we're supposed to know his will for ourselves. We're supposed to live it out, you know, even before others who might be watching watching with a scrutinizing eye, you know, I'm just waiting for him to get it wrong. Because you know, the world is looking at us. I mean, Christians are, are critical enough of one another, but even more critical of Christians is the world. And they're just looking for somebody to fail and say, ah, see, he's not living out what he says. But I think probably secretly in their hearts, there are people in this world who are just longing for somebody who can really live this out and really live it before them. You know, you, you, you get disappointed time and time and time again. You, you become jaded. And the world is seeing people stand up and take a stand and then live another way. And man, we want to be the people who live out, let our lives be a testimony of the purposes and the counsel of God. So with this in mind, I want to turn you back to the book of Ephesians. So Bruce, this is a book of Ephesians part four today, okay? I'm going to call it the mystery of his will. And if you'll go with me to Ephesians uh, chapter one, um, we're going to start in verse seven. You know, when Paul writes, I, 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 as you study him, <coughs> 
you know, I love the verse by verse preaching. I've listened to a lot of verse by verse preaching all my life. I've, I used to work in the cabinet shop for hours listening to people like Chuck Missler and those guys going verse by verse through the Bible. And I think it's great. But when I start studying some of the letters that Paul writes, you can't just go verse by verse. You have to kind of look at the whole thing because usually he has three or four concurrent themes just running through and interweaving. And it, 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 it's a beautiful thing. So sometimes if you want to study it, you almost have to take a slice kind of through at this angle and then maybe this way and this way and, and to, to dig out the meaning. So I'm going to do that. I'm just going to jump around a little bit today, but I'm going to be talking about what Paul is saying about the will and the mystery of his will. In verse seven, he, he starts off saying, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Aren't you grateful for that? Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, making known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 10, he goes on and talks about the will as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So he's saying he has made known to the apostles and to the church through the, through the apostles, the mystery of his will. So what was a mystery before is no longer a mystery because it's now being made known. Okay, and his intention is to what? To unite all things together in Christ. Things in heaven, things in earth. Come on, in the very beginning, heaven and earth, in, in the garden, God walked with Adam. Heaven and earth was joined, right? It was in this time of sin and judgment that that was all separated. And what you see in the very last chapters of the book, you see in the new Jerusalem coming back down to the earth, right? So you're gonna see heaven and earth, you know, that's, this is my eschatology um, teaching today, but heaven and earth are gonna be together again. And so everything that God is doing is working to that purpose, to that end. And so you can know and what you see, I mean, how is it going to play out? Who is Gog? Who is Magog? I don't know. We should study. We should be aware. We should be alert. Uh, we should know what's going on, but know that the purposes, uh, God's purposes will be carried out and heaven and earth will be together again in the end. And that's his plan. And so he's talking about making known the mystery of his will. What has been made known is no longer a mystery. Amen. He's been made known to us. And so, you know, we say things like, well, you never know what God's going to do. You ever heard that? You know, God, uh, you, what God's going to do is he's going to work all things according to his mystery. I mean, according to his purposes and plans and counsel. That's what God's going to do, right? You know, and, and he goes on uh, in verse 11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that's exactly, you see, I've got biblical proof for what I just said. It's exactly what God's going to do. He's going to work everything out according to the counsel of his will. And, you know, we have songs and stuff and sayings and poems and God works in mysterious ways. And well, it may be mysterious if you don't know his will and his purpose. But the closer you walk with him, and if you know his will and his purpose, his ways should not be mysterious to Christians all the time. Now, he's ever creative, and he works in amazingly surprising ways, right? So I'm not saying that, you know, we have to have him all figured out all the time, but I'm saying whatever he does, he is going to work to bring things into conformity, into alignment with his will and purpose on the earth. And so how you and I this is, what the, this is where I want to get to today, how you and I live our lives. It actually, uh, it actually testifies to what God's purpose is. We are like billboards for the whole world to see. 
billboard would be a, a modern way of saying, uh, let your light shine before men. You know, Jesus would have said that. I could say, man, let your, put your billboard up on the side of the interstate, put lights on it so everybody can see it. You're a billboard for the kingdom of God. And so, you know, look at the plan here in verse 10. It says, he's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, okay? To unite all things in him. And here's my example. Do you remember in Galatians, we we did Galatians earlier in the year, but if you'll remember in Galatians, uh, uh, the apostle Paul was talking about when, when he was in Antioch and the apostle Peter came and, and Peter was, uh, well, they were having a meal together and Peter separated himself and ate with the Jewish people and wouldn't mingle with the Gentiles. And if you remember, Paul was just livid. He was like, he goes, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. <laughs> And he wrote about it in the Bible and God saved it for 2000 years. So we could read about that confrontation today. Why? Because it's a gospel issue because if God is working in his purposes to reconcile all things in Christ Jesus and we're playing factions, we're not being a testimony to the purposes and plans of God. Do you get it? Come on. So our lives in every way have got to reflect the purposes and plans of God. And here it says in the fullness of times, he's going to unite all things in Jesus. So how much more should you and I be united in Jesus right now? It's a testimony to what God is doing. You're drawing away from them. Peter denies the truth of what God is doing. Look at Ephesians. Go forward to chapter three and start at verse four. Again, Paul's talking about his the, the mystery of Christ that's been revealed. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations at is, as it has now been revealed. Okay, so this is something that's not a secret. It's not a mystery anymore. It has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery in verse 6 is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he's saying to Peter, your actions are denying this truth. You need your actions to line up with what you say to believe. As a church, we're supposed to embody this truth. Amen? So they'll see, you know, they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. That's big. I want to read, uh, go down to verse eight in chapter three. It says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So what's his job? His job is to bring to light the plan that has been hidden for ages. And that's what he's doing. So that through the church, this one blows you away, okay, get ready. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So somehow, through the church, through our words, through our relationships, through how we relate to one another in this world, we are teaching God's wisdom to authorities in heavenly places. And God is saying, see, that's what I was doing. That is my will revealed. Right there. 
It was hidden all this time. But now look at my church and I'm going to show you what my will is and what my plan is. That's the life that we are called to live. So why do you think all these wonderful things that, that you know, we've lived as a Christian nation for so long, why do you think they're being attacked right now? Why do you think, you know, why do you think there's always somebody everywhere we go stirring up racism? Think about that. Black against white. In, in India, it's the Maytays against the Kukis right now. Still going on, 70,000 displaced right now. Um, the issue in Armenia, the, the driving, there's a, last I heard was 100,000 displaced there. All of that's covered up because of what's going on in, in, in Israel right now, the Palestinians and the Jews. Why are these all these factions and divisions? Why are they always going on? I mean, what is it? Come on, the Great Commission is to ultimately bring everybody together into Christ, right? And so what, as long as we're practicing these divisions and things where we can't be with each other, can't talk with each other and hate each other. I mean, we're talking about in some of these places that I named in Israel and in, in India and in Armenia, we're talking about generational hatred. There are kids who grow up hating the other race and there is no reason for it. It's generational hatred. It's passed on. It's taught on purpose. Come on, that's the work of Satan. That's the work of Satan. That ends in Jesus Christ, Amen. That ends in Jesus Christ. I mean, the Great Commission says, go out into all the world, preach to all nations. The word their nations is ethos. It's people groups. All ethnic groups need to hear the gospel. Why? Because the purposes and plans of God is to bring everybody and unite them once again into Jesus Christ. The day of Pentecost was a supernatural reversal of, of, of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Remember at the Tower of Babel? The people were unified, but they weren't unified under God. They were unified under a man named Nimrod, who was leading the people in a false system of worship. And so God came and he saw what was going on. And it was God who determined, he, who confused their tongues and spread them all over the face of the earth. And they spread and they made nations. Each group, you can read it in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10, I think. It's called the Table of Nations, and there's like 70 nations where everybody spread out, and, 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 and it was God's purpose and plan for the time. Why? You can read about it in Acts 17. Paul is uh, talking to the Areopagus, and he says that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. So what he needed to do, see, he told the people after Noah and them got off the boat, go out, spread all over the world and repopulate the earth, right? And what did they do? They didn't spread out. They gathered up in one place and they built a city and they all spoke one language. But the problem was they were following this man named Nimrod, who was defiant. He was in the face of God, defying God, doing exactly what God said not to do. And they were building a one, the first one world government. And God said, no, I'm not going to have a one world government. I'm going to use some nationalism to, to serve my purposes for a season. And so he confused their tongue. He scattered them across the face of the earth so that men could seek him. We know from history, if you're, if you're a fan of history or if you've just lived long enough, you know that, that, um, there were times where the whole world looked like it was coming possibly under communist rule. 
And there are safe places to go. There are countries to escape to because while one country has fallen into a dictator, another country was free carrying the light of the gospel. Don't you know that worked against Satan's plans for the time that it worked, right? And so what's Satan still trying to do? Create another one world government underneath his leadership, not God's. It's still going on. It's never stopped. It's not new. And when you understand God's purpose, you can kind of understand some of the things that are going on in the world today. And so Satan's always opposing the plan of God. God scattered them. He's trying to gather them up in his name. But then we come to um, what we read this morning in uh, Acts chapter two. We have the day of Pentecost when it came. What happened? In Jesus Christ, God removed the language barrier. In Jesus Christ, he united people from all these different countries and they all heard the word of the Lord proclaimed. And so in Jesus Christ, we come together as one. And that is the church declaring the mysteries of God, proclaiming the wisdom of God to the authorities in the heavenly places. Come on, how you and I live with one another is a testimony to the purposes of God on the earth. You know, the early church had to work through a lot of those issues. And it's amazing to me. You know, you, you start reading the book of Acts and you see the Hellenistic Jews and the, and the, uh, the Greek speaking Jews and the Hebrew speaking Jews fighting. That was first. And it was the Jews and Gentiles. But as, as it went on, the whole the book of Acts is systematically showing us how that the nations, all of the nations are included in God's plan and purpose. And in the very end, what do you see? It feels like the book ends almost up in the air. Why? It ends with Paul reaching Rome with the gospel, which at that time was the capital of the world. Jesus said, go into all the world. We're not going to stay in Jerusalem. We're not going to stay in Israel. This message is going to the world. And so they worked through it and they did. And a lot of things that we're reading right now and, and how Peter and Paul opposed Peter in Galatia or in Athens when he came, written in Galatians. Uh, you see all how the church worked this out and you and I, how we live together is a testimony to what the world is doing. So our lives, our relationships, we're supposed to be preaching the purpose and the counsel of God. You know, if you would read on in the book of Ephesians, you'll get to the fifth chapter and it starts talking about relationships between husbands and wives, fathers and children. And as you go on, um, it starts saying that the way a husband and wife relate to one another in marriage reflects the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Okay, this is big. Again, your marriage is preaching how you live with your family, with your wife. You're preaching something about God's relationship with his church that 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 people need to understand and people need to know. One of my favorite um, Bible theologians who is alive today is um, N.T. Wright. He's Anglican, so I'm, I don't subscribe to all of his views. He's so funny. I love how he talks because he's got a British accent. He sounds so intelligent. It just makes me feel smart listening to him. Uh, in, in, in England, they think he's a, a conservative, ultra, ultra conservative. In America, they think he's a liberal. So he's like, he, he says, I come to America. I don't understand. They accuse me of being a conservative back home. I come here and y'all can, uh, can accuse me of being a liberal. But, but I, what I like about, about him is, um, you know, I don't agree with all, all of his views, obviously, but I like because he's a, he's a New Testament scholar who studies the work of Paul specifically. And I love how he studies it and lets the scripture speak for scripture. He puts it in context. In other words, a lot of our theology, if you would, you know, um, 
Pastor Moon, you could probably attest to this for me. You, a lot of it came from the 1600s, the Reformation, and it's still out there. It's still in our commentaries and in our books and everything today. And he has this fresh thing that really places it back in its original context. So I, I really appreciate his ministry. But they asked him one time, you know, what do you think about gay marriage? This is 10 years ago, a video, a YouTube clip. What do you think about gay marriage? And, you know, he's sitting there and he's being very careful in how he says his words, you know, because they'll cancel you if you say it the wrong way. And, you know, he's dealing with all kinds of churches. A lot of people look up to him who have different views. And uh, he says, you know, the government can try to redefine it, but that doesn't make it true. But this is what he said. The problem is that we as a church, we haven't upheld the mystery of what marriage is. We haven't fully realized the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, in other words, that marriage embodies. We've done a poor job of communicating the purposes of God in his church that is embodied in what a true marriage is today. Why? Because your marriage is a reflection of that relationship between Jesus and the church. Marriage is something that a man and a woman who are different yet the same, right? can enter into. And that gives us a picture of the union that Jesus and his church, who are different yet the same, right? Because he's coming for a bride. He's not coming to marry somebody not like him. He's coming to marry somebody like him. So we're like him, but yet we're different, <laughs> but we're like him. And and that can be reflected in marriage. You know, Halloween is another one. We just got done with Halloween. And I don't know where you're at with Halloween. You know, I don't talk to everybody about it. I know some people I talk to is like, our kids are not going to go trick-or-treating because it's evil. And others are like, yeah, why we go trick-or-treating? Whatever you decide is, is, is your decision between you and God. But I have to explain some of the junk I see on the side of the road to my kids. And, and you know, we've got these houses near us on the way home that are 15-foot statues of, you know, zombies coming out of the ground, right? Uh, that, that's not really uplifting. I mean, that's celebrating a culture of death. It is. I mean, and, and, uh, you know, the problem is, is this. I told my kids, man, they can't hurt you. These things can't hurt you. You're Christian. You don't have to worry about them. You don't have to be scared of them. But what's the problem with them? The biggest problem is I said to the, I said this to my kids. They're telling a lie about what happens when you die. They're telling a lie. They're misrepresenting the gospel story. When you die, you get to go be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. You're not going to come back as a zombie. There's a Christian hope. It's called the resurrection. We're unified with him. We meet him in the air. And so when you see these tombstones and these hands coming up, it's a lie. It's misrepresenting a truth, right? So let's let our lifestyles, let's let our, our lives preach the gospel message, not just what we say. Come on. There's enough people out there who are saying, man, you need to be against Halloween because it's evil. And, uh, and they've got all these things on why. Well, come on, just let your lifestyle demonstrate the kingdom of God. Amen. I'll tell you, there's a lot more demons to worry about than just Halloween demons. But you understand what I'm saying? We need to live in such a way that our life that always is speaking is speaking the things of God. Amen. Our lives always tell a story. So God is always working according to the counsel of his will. And Satan is always working to oppose God's counsel and how you and I live our lives tells a story. Go to Ephesians 4. I want to bring it in for a landing here. 
Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have been called according to his purpose. You've been called according to his counsel. And he's saying, now I want you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Um, Rick tells a story on Poppy about, man, don't, how's it? Don't disrespect the seat name, right? Right? Come on, you are carrying the name of Jesus Christ. Walk in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. And so with all humility and gentleness, humility, there's a good one, isn't it? Humility. Let's say it again, humility. Just let it kind of hang out there for a minute, humility. Gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Man, all four of those in a row there. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of oh, laying down of myself and being patient and bearing with one another. But man, that's what makes us look like God. Thank God. Come on. Thank God that he has been patient with you and me. Eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body and one spirit. This is the purposes of God. And this is what you are reflecting when you live in one accord and you live as one. One baptism, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so when we do this, when we order our lives in accordance with the greater purpose of God, God is able to work through us and accomplish his will on the earth. And that's what he is looking for. Amen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to what? His purpose, right? It's not just for everybody. This is to those who are called according to his purpose, who have entered into his purpose. It doesn't say, you know, it says, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes we read that and we say, well, everything happens for a reason. Well, that's not really saying much because everything happens for a reason, right? It does. I mean, I wrecked my car. I didn't. It's a fictional story. Hell, I was eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich in one hand. I was fiddling with the radio in the other hand. And when I, when I looked up, I saw the brake lights in front of me and I hit my brake and my waffle fries went on the floor. But everything happens for a reason. Yep. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say everything that's happening on the earth. I don't believe it's everything that's happening on the earth out here is working for good. It's just saying that God is working in everything for those who are called to his purposes to bring the ultimate good. The NIV says it a little different. They offer this as a, uh, as a translation to understand. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's an interesting way of looking at it, but however you want to read it, you know, put the text in context. It's talking about the working of the Spirit. It's talking about the groaning of creation, longing for the day when Jesus makes everything right. Yeah, you guys just were in this. You did this verse, didn't you? Yeah, y'all are ahead of me already, aren't you? I probably missed that now. But uh, it's longing for the day when Jesus makes everything right. I want to read you that that section from Romans 8 out of the Phillips paraphrase. Listen to how he says it. Moreover, we know that those who love, to those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. God in his foreknowledge chose them to bear the likeness of his son so that he might be the eldest of a family of many brothers. 
So we're called in the middle of whatever crazy thing to, to bear the image of Jesus Christ, amen? And so perhaps we should look at it like this. Maybe this is how we should look at this verse. No matter what the world throws at me, no matter what the evil is all around me right now, I know that God is at work and he will bring about his will and purposes on the earth and his counsel shall stand and he shall accomplish his purpose. And I am a part of that purpose and I am a part of his plan. I'm a part of bringing that plan to bear in the earth. And so I wanna close with this, Proverbs 19 and 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The Lord's purpose will be accomplished. And as Dr. Miles Monroe, if anybody knows who he is, used to say, so before you make your plans for your life, you need to know the purposes of God because God's purpose will prevail in spite of your plans. But when we make our plans and we live our lives according to purpose, he works with us, he blesses us, and he can bring about his witness and his testimony in the earth, which is what we're doing right now, amen? So praise the Lord, was that good? Yes. It's a good word, amen? Father God, I just love you and I thank you for this. I thank you for this word, Lord. I thank you that we are not just drifting aimlessly on the earth today. We're not wandering, we're not supposed to be a wandering comet, if you will. But Lord, you have established your word and your word is, it, it marks our, our boundaries. It marks our calling. It marks our purpose. It marks your plans. And Lord, you are bringing about everything that you have purposed and planned, not only for the world, but for the church and for us as individuals. Lord, I thank you. I pray that evermore Emmanuel Assembly can reflect your purposes and your plans and your calling so that the world will know who you are, not just because of what we say, but how we live our lives in front of them. Father God, I pray that for every member here, Lord. Give us unique and creative opportunities, Lord. Let us not run from the battle. Let us not run from difficult situations, but let's just look and see how you can work through those situations to bring glory to yourself by preaching your story through our lives and our reactions and our actions to everything going on around us. Father God, make this true in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.